right, everyone, welcome to episode 27 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and on this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing strength and conditioning coach Vern Gambetta. On this show, me and Vern discuss many topics, including Vern's background, his influences, Vern's training philosophy, his thoughts on core training, and we also discuss Vern's thoughts on the functional movement screen. Now, just to let you guys know, around minute 20 to minute 25 or thereabouts the audio just got a little bit fuzzy but it clears up after minute 25 or so so just hang in there with the audio it was a very informative interview Vern shared a lot of information and I hope you guys really enjoy the show okay uh, coach Fern Gambetta as with all my guests that have been on my show so far it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on you've been an influence on me as a young coach so uh, just for any of the listeners out there who aren't familiar with who you are just fill us in well um I'm a I'm an athletic development coach and have been a, also in uh, I never thought I'd be an athletic development coach I'm a sport coach my background is really deeply rooted in track and field it's my 40, 40, 43rd year of coaching obviously at this point in my career more of the coaching is is in a mentoring type of capacity but I do work with three uh, top swim teams in the U.S. and um, two. Um, professional women beach volleyball players that are on the pro tour so i keep my hands in it pretty pretty close day to day and i've had the opportunity to work with a lot of sports over the years um but all my background really as i said is track and field who would you say have been your your biggest influence i've often heard you say frank dick uh, and um gary gary uh, winkler uh, who, who else would have been your biggest influence? yeah oh yeah definitely definitely frank dick um you know who I'm sure your hopefully your audience would know was the um, chief national coach of England until '91, and really was responsible for them being, you know, in, in his early work, uh, sport training principles, things like that. And then getting to know Frank has been tremendous. Gary Winkler's a, a close personal friend and a uh, colleague, and you know, we met. Gosh, it's hard to believe it was 30 some years ago now um, when he was coaching at Oregon State and. And I think both of us evolved together in terms of our concepts in regard to speed development and that. Um, I think going back farther than that, though, in, as a high schooler in the 60s, my high school uh, basketball coach was just a tremendous coach, a tremendous teacher. And as I, the more, the older I get, and the more coaches I coach, and the more I coach, I realize what a huge influence he had. Um, I could go on forever, but you know those have been real big ones of late um i think that franz bosch really rocked our boat about now it's been about 10 years ago but getting to know franz and doing you know teaching with him uh having him at my game program and that has really been an eye-opener i know both for gary and i you know it just really advanced our concepts um, in terms of what we have to do in terms of improving sprinting speed and really rethinking um, the whole concept of um, strength training also you know so how did you get into this whole industry I know track and field is, is your background but how, yeah. so how, 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 how did you become you know coach for and better that we all know yeah well first of all it's I, I'm going to correct you on one thing and you probably know that it's not an industry yeah. I, I don't wear a hard hat going to work it, I, it's a profession um, I, I think it was just honestly, as I look back, it was a logical um, extension of um, um, what, what I did as a track coach. You know, run, jump, throw. We, um, you know, we took care of our own um, 
strength training, conditioning, the whole thing. And so as strength coaches started to come to the fore, late late 70s, but more of the early 80s, um, it, was, it was just a logical thing that the volleyball coach had come to me and say, well, what do you think we should do to improve jumping? The, the uh, baseball coach would ask about speed. The uh, football coach would ask about strength. So more and more I found myself, um, you know, doing – doing that and it's just kind of a logical transition I think you know taking the things and the concepts that we did in track and field and applying them to other sports if I was to ask you what is your training philosophy what would your answer be to that um basically that um you train the complete athlete I I, I mean it, it's just um you know, you're, you don't train strength, you don't train endurance, uh, the, you train a complete athlete, and you train from toenails to fingernails, um, you train to enhance connections and synchronization, um, so, you know, it's, 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 in one respect, it's not very complicated, but then when you start putting the pieces together, it, it can get pretty complicated, you know, so... Mike Boyle has, has often referred to you like as one of his early mentors and you know one of the fathers of functional training. Um, how like how did this come about? He said that you were one of his biggest influences with regards to like single leg work over bilateral work and stuff like that. So, just even touching more on regards to your philosophy, like how 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 did how did this kind of you know father of function sort of idea well, come about? you know, you're constantly looking for a better way and. Um, it really have to go back into the 70s and it was a seminal moment I, I, I was coaching at University of California Berkeley and we were doing some research at uh, Shriners Hospital for Crippled Children in San Francisco and they needed normal subjects um, to, uh, to study gait and so they used my athletes and, and actually myself I was training at the time for decathlon and, and no I wasn't I was training but still but I wasn't training for decathlon anymore <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, and uh, we were over there, and we were doing fooling around the, the, the biomedical engineer and I and with the force platform, and there was a lady there, and uh, I had no idea who she was. And uh, so we were kind of jabbering back and forth, going through stuff, and it turned out she was a um, uh, 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 had been a student with actually Knott and Voss, who, uh, who were along with Dr. Kabat, were the original originators of proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, PNF. And everybody today just thinks of PNF as a stretching method. Well, it isn't. It was a rehabilitation and a strengthening method to take polio player, polio victims back to full function. And I left there, I'll never forget driving back across the bridge to Berkeley and thinking, oh my God, I have got to really, really rethink it was a little bit like what happened when I met Franz. Um, you know, I got to really rethink what we're doing in strength training. Everything was done with two hands and two feet, and a lot of stuff was done seated. A lot of stuff was done lying, and a lot of the PNF stuff was done, you know, prone and supine. But remember, those people were paralyzed, and so taking the principles of PNF, crossing the midline of the body, training, you know, contra you know, you're right if you're left side is paralyzed, train your right side. I started thinking, cheapers, this really applies to what we do day to day as coaches in terms of getting people stronger. And then and, and then it just became a logical extension that like 
okay, you know, we can squat a house or power clean this or whatever, but I got involved in, 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 in going into the 1984 Olympic Games, this thing called Project Gold, where we're doing, um, I was in charge of the sprint, the hurdle part of it, and we, you know, we were doing high-speed biomechanical analysis, and I'm going, you know, we're looking at a guy being on the ground less than a tenth of a second. To, to get maximal strength takes seven-tenths of a second a lot of times. We've got a disconnect here. And so that's where it led me to this whole idea of looking at unilateral leg strength, reciprocal strength. How do we have to, um, how do we have to do a better job of taking what we do in training, not just weight training, but all training, and transfer it to the competitive arena? So I think that's where it's evolved, and it's continuing to evolve. You know, I'm still where I'm working on different ideas and concepts today, so that we can. Um, you know, take it further, you know, is what it comes down to. Does that answer your question? Yeah, great. That's a great answer. What would you say are the biggest problems you see within the profession nowadays? Um, guruism, I just wrote a blog on that. You know, I mean, it's too much instant information, too many people, too many people really trying to, to, to sell things. Um, there's nothing wrong. Everybody has to make a living. I'm not disparaging that. But, I think we need some quality control, and we need a real filter to some of the information we're seeing. Um, I, I'm still—it still defies me to look at people that espouse function that will still talk about training a muscle or training a joint. Mm -hmm. um, you know what, what? What functional training is all about is training linkage and connections, and uh, and that. So, um, and I think we need. I, I, you know, I know in, in the UK, you guys have UK Strength and Conditioning. Australia has Australia over, Australian Strength and Conditioning Coaches Association. We have NSCA and God knows what else over here. But we need a real unified voice for our profession. And we need to define what our profession is. You know, I, I'm not, Robbie, I'm not sure what you do. I, I you know, but I think personal training is, is different than coaching. Yes, it involves coaching. But um, it's a different mission. I have to get my athletes ready for Saturday afternoon, you know, for points in time, not just lose weight or look better, you know. So we've gotten a lot of mixed, um, sort of mixed messages and mixed concepts and, you know, and things like that. I think that we need to get straightened out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just for your own, just so you know, I, I'm a strength coach too and a physical, ther oh, okay. physical therapist and, and kind of. A, oh, okay, cl a so. clinical nutritionist, so like, I'm kind of a, a, whole, a holistic sort of person. But yep. um, all right, so let's let's get into the, the this this juicy question between the two of us, which is the functional movement screen. I think, and I think everybody listening to this <laughs> wants me to ask. So uh, just just to let you know, I, I am a proponent of the movement screen, but let me clarify that by saying, okay. uh, let me clarify that by saying, I'm not like a manic, you know, everything FMS, everything FMS. I just I, I do truly believe that great information is very very good and i i can understand some of the criticisms because one thing that does kind of bug me about the fms is like they have these kits that cost 200 dollars in the bands and i think that that puts a lot of people off because they think that oh it's just a gimmick to sell stuff but really gray's information and brett and lee burton are really good guys and i really think their information is is very 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 good like well okay i, I first of all i don't really know them i i listened to a little bit of some talks. I've tried to read everything I can. I'm certainly 
have seen the functional movement screen in operation. I've seen the results of it. Um, I've been very critical of the functional movement screen and the concepts underlying it. Okay, I, and I, I, I have seen nothing. I know you, you and I had a dialogue back and forth, forth about this. I've seen nothing yet to disprove my ideas. And this is not a personal attack on on Greg Cook or any of his colleagues, anything like that. It's not meant to be that way. But look, here's what we have going right now. Now you've got a cult going around this. All right. I mean, before I talk about the actual thing, now there's levels of certification. It is it is a huge, and again, it, it, this is not jealousy or anything like that. Why do you need to be certified in functional movement screen? It, it is it is purely simply a money maker. Okay, so let's you know take that out, and that's where people get really defensive because. There's a lot of money at stake in this. This is what one one of the sponsors told me. You know, don't you don't criticize. There's a lot of money at stake here. I understand that, but I'm concerned about what's best for the athlete and what's in, in, in coaching going forward. And, and Robbie, it's as simple as this. You cannot take seven constrained movements that are scored on a one to three basis and put an absolute number of 14 and say if you're 11. You're not, you're not this. If you're 15, you're this. Okay? You're locking the athletes into... You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Oh. I'm still here. I'm giving you a into, I'm sorry, my screen went black. So, oh, you're okay. Uh, you're locking the athletes into certain movements. I'm, I'm a big proponent and have been a proponent for 40-plus years of screening the athlete. But I'm, here's my other fundamental problem with the functional movement screen. They are looking for dysfunctions, and they are looking for what the athlete cannot, can't do. As a coach and as somebody who has been, in essence, a performance director, I have to, I have to get those athletes on the field, on the court, in the pool. And we have to work around whatever, in quote, limitations they had in parallel with them working toward their goals in their sport. I cannot take them out of their sport and do... Uh, huge periods of corrective exercise in lieu of actual training. So consequently, what I what I really believe in, and I'm not pushing Kelvin Giles' physical competency assessment, I'm pushing the physical competency assessment concept. And what you have is, based on uh, valid, reliable um, testing from physical education, you said you're a physio, from physical therapy and performance tests, so-called functional tests, we can we can profile the athlete. I call it a three-tier approach. I'll do musculoskeletal screening and usually do that in conjunction with an athletic ATC, a certified athletic trainer or a physical therapist. Then we'll do physical competency assessment. Will be things like lunge tests, single leg squat tests. Um, reach tests, things like that, and then we'll do performance indicator tests, uh, standing long jump, sprint tests, you know, those kinds of things. And then we will profile the athlete to determine what they can do and determine a level of trainability, okay? And then from the level of trainability, I could have, like, I, I mean, I'll have in 25 minutes, I'll have two volleyball players here. One's 30, one's 33, that, even though they play the same game, they're not partners, but they play the same game, they have different needs, different recovery ability, and different things that we're, this is a sixth year working with them that we're working on, we've been working on 
really from the get-go. So the, 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 I guess the problem that I have is it's, too, it's way too cookie-cutter approach for me. And I, 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 I think a lot of people, honestly, have probably misinterpreted and spoke for what Gray Cook is talking about. But, you know, he's a physical therapist. To me, there's still too much talking about single joints and muscles. It's very heavily influenced by Shirley Sarman, who's a brilliant lady, but who has never had to get out of the clinic and put her work out there, um, you know, in terms of getting an athlete ready to perform. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. So that's, I'm pretty passionate about this. <laughs> um, okay, well, I, like, I think... I'm just going to put my two cents in is that please, please do. I, I, I honestly think that definitely when it comes to the FMS majority of critics completely uh, misinterpret the FMS so a lot of their arguments that they make are based on false assumptions uh, first of all the Kel- Kelvin Giles' uh, principles are exactly the same as the FMS in that they're just saying we want you to have some sort of level of movement competency before you go into a heavy strength and conditioning type program or some sort of physical activity. See, I don't get that from the SMS. Well, that, the that, that, that is exactly what Gray talks about. And the second thing is that it's, y- he would never stop somebody from training if, if you have something wrong in the FMS. That is not what Gray says at all. Uh, <laughs> if, if you have a certain area, for instance... If your toe touch or active leg straight raises it out, Gray would say you may struggle to get into a deadlift position because you don't have that posterior weight if your active straight leg raise and toe touches out. So maybe deadlifting in your initial program might from the ground mightn't be necessary. What we need we need to just clean that pattern up while you're doing everything else that you're allowed to do. You can still train away. You, you, he would never Gray says this, he says, I'd never want an athlete doing corrective exercise only or for long periods of time. It's the FMS is to, is to make sure the, the main premise of the FMS is to make sure you don't have any pain any dysfunctional movements or any gross asymmetries because okay. because we know we know that if you have pain it changes motor control and we know that after after the second biggest predictor of injury the first biggest predictor of injury is a previous injury and the second biggest predictor is gross asymmetry and in the and the functional movement screen this is another thing people have you you talk about seven kind of cookie cutter tests the functional movement screen is from neurodevelopmental kinesiology so it's based on those principles so gray would say that it's species specific so if you're a human and i'm a human the test that those movements have correlation to to all humans it's not meant to be specific to any one sport and it, and it respects the areas of neurodevelopmental kinesiology pain and motor control regional interdependence and a high threshold strategy but it's not saying at all that you'd have to stop your sport if one of those if one of those movements is out and it's not also saying because you're 14 or 21 you're definitely not going to get injured it's saying if you 14 or 21 symmetrical twos all they're saying is that you have you have uh a minimum standard of, of movement quality or competency that should allow you to withstand the stressors of a okay. gu- of a good strength and conditioning program. You could be a twenty one or twenty one in the FMS, but if you're a bad coach, you could you could bring someone's FMS score way down, meaning that your training is actually degrading their movement quality. But all he's basically saying is movement quality before movement quantity, which is the exact same as Calvin Joyce. But, but see, I disagree with you about those those movements. I watched. I spent a half an hour at the Perform Better Summit two weeks ago in Chicago watching one of his guys take three people through the FMS. It is so artificial. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm going to I'm gonna assess today, my, my volleyball player has been training for five days this week. She trains with a Brazilian coach on volleyball three hours a day, then comes to me. So I've got a, a set warm-up that we use all the time. So training is testing and testing is training mm-hmm. every day. 
and, and they're going to be fundamental movements. What I see, I don't see those as basic neurophysiological patterns. I see those as putting the body in very artificial positions, like a straight leg raise. To me, I've been that route. I've been that route 15, 18 years ago looking at Sharman stuff. It tells me nothing about what my athletes can do or can't do. Symmetry is a myth. This yeah, but don't, don't, don't get me wrong, though. Don't get me wrong. I didn't say symmetry, asymmetry. I said gross asymmetry. There's a big difference gross between... Gross asymmetry, but let me tell you something. This is... this is. I, I, I get hot about this. This is, okay. good. this is good. This is good. I like I this. I tell you, I, I, when, when you start working with elite high-level athletes, okay, I, 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 there's a Hall of Fame pitcher named Tom Seaver, and he had gross asymmetry at 42 years old. Worked with Monica Sellis. Her left wrist and left arm was was significantly more developed at age 26 than her right arm was. Okay, and and the body is is fundamentally asymmetric, and 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 to look for symmetry and to and to to to, to, to um, try to achieve symmetry is pointless. I want to see proportionality. That's but that, but, but that, that that's exactly that's exactly you just but said he's before. not saying that he's that, not saying that but, that, but I'm telling you well he, he you might have you might have gotten that from but I tell you that is exactly what he says because no, it, it, not, is, it not, is it is because the literature and it's not what they're teaching well but, but I've done the FMS and this is what I've been teaching so what what they mean by gross asymmetry Vern is that if I do a hurdle step and I can step over perfectly with one leg or not perfectly but get a two out of three but the other leg I can't stand on that leg at all I fall over three times in a row I can't do it at all that's a gross asymmetry like that's not good if I can stand on one leg and I can't stand on another leg at all that's not good that's then what do you do because you're constrained to seven movements I would agree with you in that in that isolated example, but if I can't stand on one leg, I need to I need to be able to ascertain why I can't. Like what what I'll do, the first thing we'll do with um, with youngsters in in um, multi-direction and ground contact sports, we'll do an ankle functional ankle range of movement test. If they don't score a three or above on a five point scale, then there's no Because you know what you're going to see, you know, and and I, and I think this is the thing. We're not looking for 14 points or something like that, you know. So I don't. It's just this. This uh, it's an argument that I'll probably never win because it's completely entrenched. But again, I know in the world that I have lived in, and you, and I've been accused by that group of being a dinosaur. I understand that, but we don't have in. We don't have significant injury. We put it this way and modify it based on it. I never called it physical competence assessment until I met Kelvin, but that's what we did, you know. And um, I'll stand my record up in terms of injury. Pain, absolutely. You know, even pain, um, I've seen I've athletes in artificial positions that cause it. So that's the other thing I think you have to be careful when you say pain. So uh, we just hold on one, just hold on one sec, Vern. I'm just going again because the, the part of you asked one of the part, part of the world today that really bothers me, and I, and I put myself out there on the internet, on Facebook and Twitter, so I leave myself open to that's fine. But I am very spoken about this because I think it's a flawed concept, and, and I, I, I'm going to leave it there. 
because we're any time you asked about function, any time we put people in boxes, we 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 um we limit ourselves. And I see this as a box. Is that's that's what I would in summary this. That's what I would say. I say go ahead and do it if you want to do it, but we we're in a crisis situation is right now with injuries, Robbie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at look at you know the EPL look at Major League Baseball right now. You know, uh, I looked at the products of the people that use the system, and something isn't connecting here. You know, look at the results. You know, that's that's to me the ultimate, um, the ultimate measure. You know, and uh, didn't sound wrong. Oh no, so. you can you're, you're back on you're we're back recording there. Now, yeah, so just f- finish off cuz the, the last 2 or 3 minutes were kind of furry there on the FMS. So, I think kind of where where we left it off where the audio went was I was talking about gross asymmetry and the 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 hurdle step example. So, the FMS aren't saying they want perfect symmetry cuz I mean, you're definitely right. We're asymmetrical beings. They're just saying gross asymmetry. And again, I just used the hurdle step as an example to say that yeah, no, if you can stand on one if you can stand on one leg and can't stand on the other, they'd be kind of like, well, there's there's a problem there. And at, at the same time, Gray would just tell you that, listen, the screen is just a screen. It's just like when you go to a doctor and they take your blood pressure. It's just screening you for risk. That's all it is. No no more, no less. Well, a lot, he and a lot of his people have made it more, you know, and that's that's my point. And okay. what I said when we broke up is I am, I'm very concerned right now, and this is not due to the functional movement screen, but I'm very concerned right now as we supposedly advance in our knowledge of training the rate of injury at not just the, at the elite level, but at the, you know, at the developmental level is off the scale. Yeah. And uh, um, I, I think we all need to take take a step back and take a real reassessment of of these various screens or whatever you want to call them in evaluation and say, you know, what do we have to do, you know, to to because um, the people that I work with, I mean, in terms of not athletes, but I don't know any of them that use the functional movement screen. You know, uh, it's just, um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to drop names or mention names, but they, they develop their own methodology where they've used, you know, this is in rugby, this is in football, football meaning so- obviously soccer, you know, American football, things like that, um, you know, where, where they've looked at, again, I think the key thing that, that I'd like, the point that I'd like to make is, we need to establish trainability. We've got to get rid of corrective exercise, uh, you know, you know th- that kind of stuff. To me, injury prevention, if you want to call it corrective exercise, I prefer to call it remedial, should be a transparent part of a good sound training program, you know, and, and it just should, you sh- it should be blended in. But, you know, so. but, but what you're saying is exactly what Gray says. Like you just said, all we want to know is trainability. That's all the screen is: is to see can do you have the movement quality for trainability. So maybe what you're saying is everybody's misinterpreting what he's saying. Yes. Okay, then why doesn't he come out and say it more clearly? Well, one thing, one thing I will say about Gray <laughs> is he's always very philosophical, and it does take you a long time. But I honestly, Vern, I think the best thing to do is if you just rang him or met him at a format and sat down and say, "Listen, will you tell me what the story is with this functional movement screen?" Because I, I just see it all the time. Everyone just completely misinterprets and say, oh, it's a gimmick and it's this and it's that. And then, like, 
if you listen to Gray, he's like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, it's, it's well, like, but, it's but, like, but Robbie, let's cut to the chase here, okay? It's a business for him. He's not going to go back now and say I'm wrong. But he's not it's wrong. Like, he's not wrong. He's been, well, he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been misinterpreted. Like, it's just like anyone else. Like, Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus, I mean, people would say he's been completely misinterpreted. I'm not, I'm not comparing Grey Cook to Jesus Christ now. But. Well, some people have. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that that's, that's not what I do. But, but like, I mean, like what, what, what I don't understand is that, is that you say you believe in Kelvin Joyce's one and the FMS, but both, they're both underlying philosophies the same. They just like movement quality before movement quantity. Don't put strength and conditioning on top of dysfunctional movement. Uh, to a certain extent, I wouldn't say the same. They are coming from a similar root thought, and then the application is significantly different, is what I see. Okay. Uh, and, and it's how it's applied. Robbie, it's how it's applied. It doesn't matter how great Cook. I mean, I cringe. I cringe when people say, oh, I got this from referring to me. I got this exercise from you, and I'm going, no, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You know, you, 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 know, you took something... You know, uh, and now you're calling it functional, and it's 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 dysfunctional. So yeah. can we move on from? Yeah, this? I will. No, I will. But I just, I just one last thing is, I really think it'd be good for you to contact Ray himself, and just because I mean. I mean, like you said yourself, you've never really spoken to him or the guys. I mean, so my question would be, how could you fully criticize something when you haven't really well, talked? I've read everything. I've read everything. I've attended his talks. I haven't gone through the certification. I've seen. I've. I've studied the. Uh, I've studied the. Um, the. Uh, the t- I sat there and watched for. I told you two weeks ago for half an hour. Watch and listen to one of his his lieutenants. You know, in Chicago, go through all of this. And I just kept hearing the same verbiage over and over and over, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, you know, hey, if the opportunity presents itself, I don't think it matters to him whether I care or don't care. I, I'm going to, I've kind of not, this is the last time I'm saying, um, you know, if you want to call it negative things or criticizing, because there's nothing to be gained. I'm just going to go ahead and teach the methodology that I know works, that top people use. Yeah. And, and go forward and people want to go ahead and, and use that methodology more power to them okay. yeah, we'll, 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 we'll move on I just want to, I'm not going to say anything else but just with regards to screen and movement quality like I just want you to know the listener like I, I couldn't care less if someone uses the FMS or not but I, I do firmly believe that you should be assessing movement quality and I think any good coach I, I think any good coach as you said it already absolutely. already is doing that yeah, so. already doing it in their own way and I do it every day not just not just one off. I mean, I think that's the other key thing. There are certain fundamental movements that really need to show up every day, whether it's with my swimmers, with my volleyball players, or whatever, that assess uh, really uh, the effect, you know, what we did yesterday and my readiness to go forward today with what I have planned. And I think that's one of the, one of the things that's really um, kind of lacking today in a lot of the younger coaches because it's like a one-off test or assessment and then we'll just you know then we don't need to pay attention to other things you know so mm-hmm. anyway that's what I see uh, just about your book what, why did you feel the need to write it athletic development oh the, the book oh, the, the, the book I'm write, currently writing or the or athletic yeah, oh, athletic, oh. athletic development the, the one you've uh, had for why did I feel the need to write it Ooh, that's a good question um, well again it's always a long story it goes back to college um, I had a uh, I had a professor at University of California Santa Barbara that asked us to uh, 
to uh, 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 we have for the class foundations of conditioning in 1969 we have to put together a whole year training program and I, I think it started there and, and it, he, he really emphasized to us that we needed to articulate in writing what we were doing and why we were doing it and how we were doing it in that and I, I think at the time I mean uh, at the time I contracted to write the book was 2003 maybe even late 2002, I gave up writing it twice. And then I had a very negative experience working with the Nike Oregon Project kind of spurred me on that I felt we needed to uh, maybe get the word out on how, again, my philosophy of training the complete athlete. So, you know, uh, whether 10 people read it or 10,000 people read it, I didn't really matter. They, you know, I didn't, I mean, all you got was royalties. They didn't pay me up front. So... Mm. Uh, but it, I thought it was it really helped me at that point in my career, which was about 34, 35 years of coaching, to, to kind of pull everything together. You know, and now I'm, as before you called today, working on the new book, which is called is Developing Athletes, which is going to be more looking at the whole process long term and looking at historically uh, what we've done to develop athletes in that, too. So hopefully the two will go together. So. With regards to mistakes you have made throughout your career, like what oh. what what would you change if you could go back? What would be your big rocks that that you would change? Oh my gosh, yeah, um, getting married to certain to certain techniques, i.e., heavy what you know, heavy lifting, um, extent you know, uh, spending huge amounts of time pre uh, pre training doing static stretching you know just crazy ideas that you bought into at the you know at the time that you know everybody seemed logical and everybody was doing i i think the biggest thing is is for me uh is is somewhere along the line of, of getting you know that every workout was an end into itself every microcycle was an end into itself and recognizing that training was cumulative I think the biggest mistake that, that I continued to make probably into my even my 30th year of coaching and that every year we would start over at step one you know mm-hmm. instead of building upon what we had previously done yeah and it was so stupid because we would spend then we would you know we'd go through buying into hook line and sinker some of the Eastern European periodization concepts that you know, this general preparation, and we would train to be really slow, get really strong, you know, and and then have to spend, you know, six weeks to two months trying to undo what we did to apply it back to the sport, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'd say, and you know, and, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid to admit it, I it made that mistake over and over and over, mm. you know, so... Um, and I still see, you know, there's a lot of vestiges of that today. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I, I kind of used to do the same thing when I used to look and I used to go, you know, like oh, back to a GPP block and then into their yeah. next block. And then I kind of, uh, over the last two, three years, I'm only 26, so I'm young enough coaching. I'm only in the field seven years or so or less. But yeah. what, what I've been doing the last two years, kind of Joel Jameson is a, is a coach is an, and Patrick Ward, they've kind of influenced me a lot, and David Tanney these guys and they were saying through their testing they would see what someone lacks and it's like it's the area that they're lacking in that needs the attention if you what why would you do gpp with someone who's already got good gpp or has has got good work capacity but their elastic strength or explosive strength is back you know what i mean they're like why would you why would you waste your time doing something they're good at 
So and I, I think the other, yeah, that's true. And, and I, I think the other thing that, uh, um, I don't know if it's a mistake or whatever, but um, not not really understanding that you needed to train all components of athletic fitness yeah. all, the, all the time in different proportion, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and thirdly, um, you know, understanding that, how, how to and it's re- this is where the art of it really comes in and it's hard to give an explanation but how to train um, to your to your strengths and minimize your weaknesses and like you said and then understand but don't get so hung up that you're constantly just you know working on the strength to the exclusion of the weakness you know and that's a that's a that's a real big balancing act you know and it's it's so individual um, you know, it's but that's what makes co- to me that's what makes coaching, you know, getting up every morning and, and doing it is really exciting. You know, not very many professions get to do that. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. You know, so. Can you speak about in your book? You just spoke about work capacity and the need for work capacity because yeah. what, what kind of happened the last maybe it's it's kind of starting to, the pendulum's starting to swing a little bit again. But people were big into you know interval training, interval training, interval training, and you talked about the actual need for more of an aerobic work capacity base if the athlete needs that. So can you just speak about work capacity? Well, the work capacity is an umbrella term, okay, and, and first of all, and it encompasses, you know, uh, what, what I, don't, I don't like to term axio too, but it encompasses capacity and power, you know, in uh, aerobic, anaerobic, but I, I like to think of work capacity, the things that, that come under work capacity are those things which limit my ability to do other types of work, so mm-hmm. flexibility comes under there, those kinds of things. And, and, and work capacity, just like overall training, accumulates from year to year. Now, the necessity of doing um, aerobic work, I think, has gotten a little bit confused, too. Everybody went just completely to high-intensity interval yeah, training. Yeah. And, and you know, if you carefully in the book, and, and I still think Veronique B. Lott's work is still seminal work, and it's really good, you know, I can do... At 70%, I, I like to use effort rather than max, but it can be 70, 65, 70% of max. I can do aerobic interval work that that really develops my aerobic capacity to a, to a, to a real good degree because it's very tough to take uh, like a big rugby forward or, or a big basketball uh, post player, you know, and do sustained aerobic work because of the mechanical limitations of their ability to, you know, to do it. Where you can you can make it more game like. So, I, I think it's a it's 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 a, again it's the whole work capacity thing is we we tend to want to put it in separate discrete blocks where it should be worked on and touched upon um, throughout each block of training. You know, with differing emphasis. Yeah. yeah does, that, does that answer the question? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's very exactly like my uh, thought process. I'm use a block method where you're emphasizing a particular quality and you're just maintaining or introducing the other qualities it's never right. just one right. sort of quality uh right. what about carver now just two or three more questions i let you go i know you have to be gone in five minutes or so but all right we've got we've got uh oh no we're okay we've got at least 10 minutes oh, perfect. well <laughs> that's the other one what is the core and what isn't the core right i mean <laughs> is this this is going to be a show in itself is it Oh my God! It's it's gotten so crazy, you yeah. know. And, and my pet peeve is, it's 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 woven its way into peer-reviewed literature without anybody ever defining, strictly defining what the core is. Mm. 
you know, and I tried in the book to, to go back the origins. The first time it shows up is Guyton Dominguez's book, Total Body Training. It, it's not from Feldenkrais. I thought it would be from Feldenkrais or um, from Rolf or from, you know, from, from some dance, and, and it doesn't show up. And I, I'm really, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to get uh, I.L. Lederman to, to, to my game, uh, you know, week next year. Um, but I, I'm trying to substitute core training with postural or core with postural strength. Because I think we've been dancing around it. That's really what it is. It's certainly not internal oblique and transverse abdominus, is it? It's more than that. Mm-hmm. It's that part of the body that gives us that that postural integrity that enables us to transfer force either down the chain or up the chain, you know, and uh, I mean, for a long, long time, Robbie, I, I and even with our my swimmers, we do most of our core work standing and moving, you know, and that versus prone and supine. You know, at first they don't get it, but that's the way, you know, you talk about neurodevelopment and you talk about evolutionary process, that's what we've done, and base it on gait, you know, off of one leg onto the other leg. So I, I think it's an area, I think somebody needs to reconvene a summit with all, and everybody leave their egos out the door and all their DVDs and everything else and just say, now what the hell are we doing here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so you, you, do you, would you believe that a lot of ground-based core work is a waste of time? Depends on it depends on what your ultimate activity is. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of the stuff that I see. I mean, a lot of my ground-based core work is crawling, different kind of crawling patterns, yeah, and that yeah, that's okay. not a waste of time because I'm. But when I'm on my butt doing trunk flexion type of movements or even rotational type of movements from there, I have to really look at what I'm doing. As I said, swimming swimming is prone and supine. Um, um, you know, but those kids, I mean, it's, it's, when you think about it, your limbs are moving in opposition and, yeah. you know, so we'll do a little bit more prone and supine and swimming, but still not to the extent that other people are doing. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, similar. Like, I mean, when you said crawling now, I would, I would definitely get into that. I, I, I would buy into that. Like, and what about, would you look into any rolling type patterns, uh, Vernon Lowe? Rolling, rolling, like rolling, you know, rolling from. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, I get what everybody's saying about going to that developmental level. I do some of it, but I'm not gonna. So that's become the latest thing. I, I'm, I'm not gonna go down very far down that path. Okay. Um, I would if I were a development, you know, if I were a physio working with people in, in a, you know, in paralysis and that kind of stuff. But I think that if you look at, you know, like let's take rugby for example. You know, you're going to have to get up off the ground. You're going to have to get in an unusual position. So we're going to incorporate a lot of that stuff as precursors and lead-ins lead to our agility work and yeah. things like that. But in terms of separating that out as a, as a separate component, I'm not sure how necessary that is. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question, Vern. I, I, uh, I, I put it out, like, kind of on my website and Facebook page that I was interviewing, and I said, any questions, stick them up there. And one coach asked, uh, um, he goes, he said, I'm very influenced by Vern, was, was a great influence for me growing up all the years, have great respect for him, but over the last number of years, it seems as if he's gone a bit bitter. Ask him why so. Bitter? I'm not bitter, no. That, that's, that's, that's the perspective that they're looking at. I, have, I, I don't have any bitterness. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm not, I, I have some 
I have some. Um, I, I, I'm holding people's feet to the fire. If people want to interpret that as bitterness, if you, you know, and, and that's you know to each his own. And, and I've heard that a lot lately. Um, and uh, I don't mean to be defensive about it or anything like that. My attitude is, if you say something and you espouse something. Um, yeah, then yeah. either hold by your beliefs or tell me why you change your beliefs. Because okay. I've, I've been very critical of Mike Boyle's, you know, for example, saying, you know, eight years ago the only way you should squat is front squat. Now he's saying the only way you should squat is rear foot elevated squat. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, well, if, and, you know, if that was the only way then, why is this the only way now? Yeah. And people, people misinterpret those things. Uh, as uh, uh, yeah, I you know I guess you could take it that way, but I'm 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 not I'm not going to be afraid to criticize, and I put myself out there, and I'm being criticized, and I'll take it. Yeah, I think so, I think I think everyone knows everyone that puts information out to a mass crowd knows that listen, no matter what, no matter how good you think it is, you're always going to be criticized. So you better yeah yeah. And and I what I ask is like I I put a, a thing on my on the game Facebook page yesterday about you know. You know this the youth uh, world championships going on right now. <laughs> Some lady just excoriated me, and she says, "Well, I'm glad I wasn't growing up, you know, or you weren't my coach." And I'm thinking, I don't know what you did, but if I were your coach, uh, you might have probably been a lot better than what you are, you know, because we didn't we don't need youth world championships. And somebody could say, "In the good old days, aren't that good, Ron?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I look back on the good old days. I mean, I'm working on this book right now, and I'm going, "Yeah, there was a lot of great stuff, but we got a lot of really cool stuff that we can tap into now. We know why, and we don't have to make the same mistakes." And the the one answer I would say to the to the to that person too is, um, I, "I'm a, I'm a student of history, and I, I don't I don't want to see people repeat mistakes." And that's what I see going on. And so when it comes across. Maybe it comes across as bitterness or like an old man talking, but I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I look at, I had the opportunity in December, yes, on uh, mentors. I, Dr. Joe Vigil is another mentor. I got to spend a whole bunch of time in December with Dr. Vigil and Frank Vick at the same time, you know, and these guys have produced some of the greatest athletes in the world, and, you know, I'm going to sit and listen, not, not repeat the mistakes that they've made. You yeah. know, so that, okay. that would be the advice that I would give. Don't take it at bitterness. Take and look at the substance behind it. Yeah. And I, I try to, I have to be, I understand, I have to be careful about tone sometimes. That's the hard part about writing versus like what we're talking now because tone of voice can convey a lot. Yeah, it's very, it's very hard to, to convey a message through the written word. And I also think a lot of the time passion can be very much confused for bitterness uh -huh. too or you know so it can be you know what i mean it's a lot of people say why are you so angry and it's, it's, it's not anger it's passion so yeah yeah it's, it's interesting you say that because i've never been accused for having a lack of passion yeah <laughs> definitely not i mean this has been a great interview so far but just last well, time last... we can do it again sometime it's uh, always fun to talk about this and you know you spurred me on to to, to look at uh, a little bit of uh, in depth not a little bit in depth but you know, in depth to some of the origins of the functional movement screen. Well, I, I just again, I, I just I'm always a proponent of just from from my point of view. This is not with you. This is with everything. I always get people criticizing, and I'm like, but have you ever, ever actually ever contacted that person? Because I I interned I interned with Mike Boyle, and I came back to Ireland, and people were all like, oh, Mike Boyle, no, none of his athletes are strong, and they don't lift weights. They just do like corrective exercise. And I was like, I've worked there for four months. Uh, all is that all his athletes Olympic lift and 
deadlift and do weighted chin-ups and bench press and what are you talking about you don't know what you're talking about like right right yeah, yeah. so it's the oh, same you know it's the, kind of the same but la- that, last that, that, wouldn't a, that wouldn't be a criticism i have of mike oh i know yeah i know i know that that that, that, that wasn't geared towards Actually, you Vern. mike mike is a very good coach but he's also become a very good businessman which more power to him yeah. so uh, these are just my my last two we'll wrap it up because you got to go but just for young coaches out there resources Vern, books uh, you oh. know webinars dvds seminars Oh, oh boy, Ryan, it's it's um. You have a big bookshelf there behind you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I'm gonna put that. I'm gonna put put it on the um. I, I I'm I'm just a big believer in, you know, in reading and that and reading sort of the classics. I, I really would recommend uh, that on my blog in the last year I put up a pretty extensive reading list. Um, you know that uh that I I think people need to do. I, I really encourage people to look critically at what is out there. Um, you know, just develop a, 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 a BS filter for, for lack of anything else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that you you know you say, okay, now where is this coming from? Who is this person? Not who is this person worked with in terms of medalist, but what does he or she do day to day? You know, um, you know, because I. I a lot of people claim anyway. So uh, I know what you're I, saying that they're in, they're internet coaches. I know what you're trying to say there. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 really a you know. So I I think and 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 look at look at balancing the art and science. I wrote a blog, just a short blog about it yesterday. You know, so that I mean, we can learn the science. The science is fairly well defined. You know, there's various studies that that you could go either way, but. But look at people like Tim Noakes that are really questioning, you know, uh, you know the, the the status quo in terms of max VO two and hydration and things like that, um, and have the have the background to be able to do the questioning. So yeah, yeah. And uh, just finally, but your game mentorship, uh, what like why why did you start that? Where can people find out more information about it? Yeah, well, contact me. Um, you know, write me at. Uh, gstscoach at gmail.com we're not I'm, I'm not going to call it a mentorship or apprenticeship anymore we kind of decided after this year we're it's it's um it's the idea was to to have a real high level group of people uh, a network it's really a network so you come you're there for five days really work to have absolutely tremendous presenters that you know again are present are doing things in the field guys like Nick Folker, who had 22 athletes in the Olympic Games and aquatic sports last year, and Gary Winkler, you know, and people like that. Uh, Jim Radcliffe, who's who's the best in the profession in my book in terms of, you know, American football and that. Um, anyway, and it's 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 total immersion. My God, we go from 6:30 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night with a lot of you know learning activities, and then. People are, you know, the idea is, is there's a secure website and there's resources on that, a forum where we can ask questions and discuss things and, you know, and things like that, you know. So it's it's uh, it's meant to be quite a, a quite a um, uh, a rigorous, high level educational opportunity, but that's ongoing, not just a three or four or five day experience, so to speak. You know, okay, so. That's, that's brilliant. So Vern. Um 
that was a great interview. Just just stay online. I'll just say uh, and I'll say you know, off air. I'll say goodbye to you. Okay, just for, cool. For Thank a you minute. very much, Bobby. Appreciate so I'm gonna guys. We're just gonna wrap up the podcast. It was uh, again a pleasure to have Vern on, and, and you know, really great interview there. Good stimulating conversation. So uh, for everyone listening, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.